some fell right down that rabbit hole so reality is questionable try but you just can't let it go these two right here put on the show it's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul And their dog Ninja Hey guys, welcome to episode 283 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. We are excited to be with you guys this week, as we, we are every are, week. of course. It's been a, a very busy week. Of course, we went down and did the tornado relief on Wednesday. It seems like that was two weeks ago, for, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But uh, So we've got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, we did do an episode... Strictly on that, we won't touch on that a whole lot tonight, just because we did a complete episode, so you can go back and listen to that from a couple of days ago. But first, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all you guys and gals and service animals for everything you do. And it was such a blessing seeing the military there. They were so kind and very helpful when we was, you know, going down through the streets and everything and um, telling us where we could go. And so it was just a blessing seeing them there. And we appreciate you all so much. You just don't understand. And just keep on keeping up. We appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate everybody's uh, monetary donations. And we appreciate everybody's prayers and thoughts because we know not everybody can give uh, at this time of year, and and but your thoughts and prayers were just as important. Oh my gosh, they were so excited and so thankful for everything you guys did. And um, you know, I made sure that they knew that it was our great group that did that. You know, and it's they had so many donations though that the the one guy said, "We don't want you to stop with the donations, but can you pause?" Yes. They had so much stuff donated, given to them. I mean, what a blessing. The problem, obviously, is that they've got a lot now, but in two weeks when all right. that's gone, people right. might not be given as much as, as they much, will. As much, yes. That's the, the main thing. Yeah, so anyway, uh, we just wanted to thank them again. We pray for you guys every single day. Correct. And also, we want to make sure that, especially in trying times like this, that it's it's hard on people. I mean, there's a lot of people down there that just have lost completely everything, and I'm sure they're having a hard time dealing with this mentally right now. And I, I can't imagine, because it was hard on me just seeing the devastation, and it didn't even happen to me. So it was, you know, they need extra prayers and extra love. But we want to let people know that if they're going through some hard times, whether it be from the storms or whether it be, you know, in Australia, I know, or not Australia, but actually Tasmania, I just saw where there was a, a bouncy house incident where it got blown up in the air from a storm. And there's been, I think, six children pass away. I think that may be the seventh today, mm. uh, but, you know, from just a freak accident. I yeah. mean, so everybody's going through things right now. And sometimes you need to talk to somebody. And if you want to talk to somebody, we're available. The group is available. And if they would rather talk to a professional, Tracy, who would they call? 1-800-273-8255. You can also text at 741-741. Please reach out, guys. All right. So are we ready to get in with this story, Tracy? I am ready, honey. I do want to mention that also on tonight's show, we've got Andrea Guile. She's from Mountain Mama's Investigation. Ooh. Ooh, I dig that name. Well, and, and she tells a little bit about how they got the name, because I was curious. Mm-hmm. They uh, were in West Virginia. Uh-huh. And, of course, the famous John Denver song, Take Me Home, Country yeah, Road, has Mountain Mamas in it. Oh, that's, that's where that's, they got their that's name? That's where they end up getting their name Look out at of it. them. And I apologize, honey, to you. Why? Because you all don't know how many times Jerry has to stop recording, because I keep smacking my dang lips. <laughs> Dang it. I don't even know I'm doing it. It's terrible. And you know, 
I was I listened to a lot of these old episodes that we do. Did I do I, it then? Well, I realized more, no more me. I realized how many mouth noises I made in the older episodes. Like a lot of in between sentences, a lot of. <sighs> so I don't know if it was just a you're so unprofessional case of emphysema that I didn't know about or what the case was, but. And I and I'll, I'll hear it, and I'm like, "There's no way I got time to take every one of those out right now." Oh my but, gosh, it's so annoying. It's so I don't even know I'm doing it. And Jerry's <laughs> like, oh, "Stop! Let me take your lip smack out." I'm like, "Oh," but anyway, if I lip smack and we don't catch it, I'm sorry. But anyway, so she's going to be on to tell us about she. Actually, let me tell you how that got started. She wrote me, uh, wrote a story. It wouldn't me directly. She wrote a story in one of the groups I'm in, and it was a pretty cool story. Oh. So I said, "Hey, is it okay if I use the story?" Uh-huh. And then I found out she was a paranormal investigator, which I didn't know. Oh, there you go. And then, so I said, hey, why don't you just come on? And she told the story and a bunch of other stuff. Meant so. to be. That's awesome. Yeah, very fun. And then we find out that she only lives like 45 minutes from us. Get out of here. Yeah. So we're going to hook up and maybe do some extra ventures uh, in the future. Oh, that, fun. You know, so. Oh, well, that's nice. All right. So, Tracy, I know that I have a love-hate relationship when it comes to haunted cemeteries. Oh, I thought you was going to say Caesars. Pizza no, or that's whatever. just that's a got hate. That's just a hate relationship. There's no love anywhere in there. <laughs> All right, go ahead with your cemeteries. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that cemeteries aren't haunted, because I think some of them are haunted. There's just too many different stories out there, and different cases, which will be the case with tonight's story. Because I, don't you say why would you want to hang around and haunt in a right. cemetery? That's my whole thing. I can't figure out why they're haunted. Now, somebody mentioned something the other day about. Maybe there was a tragic accident, you know, maybe like... In the cemetery? Well, let, let's say that somebody was, I don't know, uh, kidnapped or something, and they took them to the cemetery and happened to kill them, or if there was a sacrifice or Or they tripped like, over one of those headstones and hit their head. Right. I mean, I mean that seriously the, can happen. Theoretically, if it was something like that that happened at the cemetery, I can understand. Okay. Well, well I kind of see what you're saying. But just like my mom, I, I don't know why she would hang around the cemetery because... It just doesn't make sense to me, she, you know. Mm-hmm. But that that's my whole thing. Anyways, with that being said, I found a cool cemetery story that has several different, um, I guess, hauntings or stories associated with it. And if I told you it's the Hollywood Cemetery, where would you think that would be? California. Wrong. Eh. It's in Richmond, Virginia. Oh. Well. Hollywood Cemetery is actually still... A fully operational cemetery, and it was established in 1847. Wow, that's impressive. Yes, it was. It was designed by noted architect John Noteman from Philadelphia. And I'm not sure if he did uh, the one that we went to out there, Mm -hmm. but that was in Philadelphia. I bet he did one of them. That place was gorgeous yeah, i mean because, i hate to say that about a cemetery i mean well you know what i'm saying yeah I but mean, at the it's, same but it's, it's so beautiful at there. the same time you're right though because this is a garden cemetery yeah it was so beautiful so it, it just basically means that the landscaping style centers are more mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. the looks of it mm-hmm. as far as the gardens and and how pretty everything is it's made to look like that and and these type of uh cemeteries became really popular back in the 19th century so it doesn't have just the rows of, of mm-hmm. uh, you know, tombs and headstones and yeah, stuff like that. Right. It actually is like being in a giant park that just happens to have a bunch of people buried in it. So who was that who was that one guy that had the baseball or the that had the Oh, the, that was the Philadelphia Phillies uh announcer. You guys if you not have you have got to see this thing. I wonder if you could they could pull that up on the internet. I bet they probably could. Oh, I'm sure they can. I'm trying to think of what his name is. I just completely I know, but it, it is so amazing. Wasn't it? It's like a baseball seat or like a... Yeah, it was one of the benches from when they redid uh, the Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. They got one of the actual seats and it's out yes. there. And then it's got like, I think, a, a baseball bat. Or oh, a, no, it's a giant microphone. Yes, it it's so cool. It's a giant cool. microphone. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Yeah, at any other time I would know his name, but since you asked, I'm sorry. I completely oh. forgot. Well, I'm surprised I even remembered. So you I know, was that thinking, does. I was thinking it's it was a Harry, not Harry Carey. Obviously, that's what the Cubs. But anyway, it's it's cool. If, if anybody ever gets a chance to look that up, of course I don't know what his name is. So I don't know how that's going to help. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm it's actually, really cool. I'm actually even forgetting the name of the cemetery right off the bat. Yeah, it's Laurel. Um, 
It's really pretty Laurel there. Hills or Laurel yeah. something. Yeah. But it's absolutely beautiful. It is. It was so beautiful. It's really something. So anyway, this particular cemetery is on, it sits right on the banks of the James River, and it spans over 135 acres of beautiful valleys, hills, and stately trees. That sounds Big. nice. Its beauty sets it apart from what you would normally think of when it comes to a cemetery. Obviously, because, like I said, it's just yeah. not set up exactly the same. There are two presidents buried there. It's in a section called President Circle, fittingly enough. James Monroe and John Tyler, who were the fifth and the tenth presidents, respectively, of the United States. Oh, wow. In 1968, James Monroe's tomb, now you can look this up because it's pretty awesome. Commonly known as the Birdcage, was registered as a National Historic Landmark. Now, when this happened, this elevated Hollywood Cemetery as one of the most prominent places to be buried in all of Virginia. Other notable people buried here. There are six governors, two Supreme Court justices, and several authors. Also, Confederate leader Jefferson Davis is also buried there. Nice. And while I'm thinking about it, the Phillies announcer was Harry Callis. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, K-A-L-E-S. You can guys look that up. He's got an awesome mm -hmm. grave memorial there. All right. We mentioned that the cemetery was designed by John Noteman, but the cemetery itself was the brainchild of two gentlemen, Joshua Fry and William Hacksaw. The next question is, I asked you, where did you think the cemetery was? Mm hmm you obviously said California, because anytime somebody thinks Hollywood, yeah. they think California. But this cemetery actually predates Hollywood, California. No kidding. Yeah, because Hollywood, California. Well, 1840, would, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Noteman, who designed the place, he suggested the name Hollywood because of all the holly trees that grow sporadic all over the property. Well, and he clever. Yes. I like that. From a paranormal aspect... We're going to start with the 90-foot-tall stone pyramid that was designed by Charles Henry Dimmock. Are you serious? Yes. And don't call me serious. <laughs> the pyramid is an architectural marvel. Why? Because it's held together by gravity. This <gasps> thing's 90 feet tall, and it took a full year to build, and there's absolutely no mortar of any kind in this. It's just the rocks stocked on top of each other. Okay, but how can that be that way? What if a big, like, uh, God forbid, say a tornado came through or something? That's not going to destroy it? Well, I mean, I'm sure something like that could. What if what, what if somebody pulled out a little pebble? Like Jenga? Yeah, and the whole daggone thing fell. Well, it's been there since November 8th, 1869. Oh, dang. So it's done a pretty good job of holding up. All right. Well, we need to build all our buildings like that then. <laughs> the pyramid is a Confederate soldier memorial. Wow. The reason that they have a Confederate soldier memorial at the cemetery is that there are 18,000 Confederate soldiers buried in close proximity. 18,000. These soldiers came from all different battlefields. Aww. And including Gettysburg. Matter of fact, there were some people from Gettysburg yeah. who came there. Of the 18,000, 11,000 of these soldiers are still unknown. Oh, that's sad. Supposedly, there were several accidents and injuries during the, you know, the, the construction yeah. of this project. This included the constant breaking down of the stone hauling derrick. And if you're unfamiliar with a derrick, think about, think about an oil derrick. It's got, you know, that uh, construction of, like, scaffolding over top that kind of looks oh, like yeah. the, uh, what's that in Paris? The um, Eiffel, Eiffel Tower. Tower. So it's kind of got that build, and I guess they were using that with some kind of a pulley system to take the rocks up, mm -hmm. and that kept breaking on a regular basis. Oh, God, I imagine so. That's a lot of weight. Yeah, I would think so. But I don't think they're only doing one, one brick at a time, so or one stone at a time. Oh, God, that would take forever. <laughs> <laughs> but it took a year is what it took. Seemed like it would take more than that. <laughs> anyway, all the stone, by the way, came right there from the river. Yeah. They, they just it was uh uh granite from the, the the river right there at the James River. Very cool. There's a cool legend that actually goes with the completion of the pyramid. 
One of the men that was working on the construction crew was a uh, convicted horse thief by the name of Thomas Stanley. Now, the story goes that he volunteered to climb all the way to the top and personally placed the capstone, the, the last stone with the point. He is the bravest man in this world. He climbed all the way to the top and he put it on the pyramid. This was looked at as such a dangerous endeavor that the warden gave Stanley an immediate release from his jail time after he Dude, got down to the Dude, I don't blame him. It said that... How'd he get down, though? Did he have to climb back down? I, I have no idea. Because there obviously was no video footage. Oh, back my in the Lord. Can you imagine? <laughs> it said that you can hear disembodied voices at dawn and at dusk if you're anywhere near the monument. And if you're at the rear mm -hmm. wall of the monument, that several times there will be a blast of cold air that comes from oh. nowhere. Well, I'm glad they had a, a beautiful place to rest their souls. Yeah, it's and I've seen the pyramid. It's really cool. Looking. Yeah, because like I said, it it's not like a the great the great pyramids. It's no you know, these yeah. big blocks. I mean, it's little stones. That's just amazing. That is so amazing. Now, Tracy, you know I love stories that involve someone's pet, like staying with them at the gravesite. Yeah, we've had several of those before. This isn't exactly that, but it does um, kind of go along the lines. Because it involves an animal in a grave. I mean, those are so sweet, but they're also heartbreaking. They are. It really shows the unconditional love that pets have with um, their owners when they would just hang out at the, the gravesite. Yeah. And a lot of times not eat or drink. And Aww. just starve themselves to death. Aww. And you're probably saying, why am I babbling about a pet? Well, first of all, if that's the way you feel, that hurts my feelings. Well, I would never say you're babbling. I was just honestly sitting here thinking if me and you both went at the same time, who would Ninja hang with? Oh, he's going with us. Oh, okay. He's been in a casket with us. <laughs> Even whether though he's, he's not alive? Whether he's dead or not. Oh, no. It sucks, but you know, Aww. I don't trust him with anyone. Are you? You know, there was a story uh, probably a year, year and a half ago about a man that requested to be buried with his dog and they put the dog to sleep <gasps> to put him in the casket. Okay, now how do you really feel about that? No, no. that sucks. That's horrible. That's going to say no, that's no, wrong. I, no, I would never do that. I would never do that. That's so wrong. Now, I had a good friend, Billy Rains, who passed away a couple of years ago and his dog that was really beloved had passed away just a few months before that. And of course, they had the dog cremated and they put the dog's ashes in his casket with him. Oh, now see, that's nice. I can I could go for that. All right, so back to this story. There's a two-year-old little girl named Florence Rees. She died of scarlet fever in February 1862. Now, unfortunately, scarlet fever was a very common cause of death back at this time. Mm -hmm. Her parents decided to place a life-size black cast iron statue of a Newfoundland dog on the right side of her grave. Aww. Now, on the surface, it would seem logical, I guess, that the parents would place a statue out there to watch over their daughter. But there are actually two conflicting stories about how the statue got on the grave. The first story says there was a shopkeeper. He had this statue of the dog out in front of his shop and he remembered that every time Florence would come to the shop with her father that she was fascinated with that dog and she would play with the statue uh -huh. out there. That's so sweet. And he decided to give the statue to Florence's father Thomas to place on the grave. Oh, that's so sweet. The second story is, is, is quite different and it's not quite as touching. That story says that because this was the time of the Civil War, that there was shortages of metal to make bullets and, and ammunition out of. So the government was like confiscating all these pieces of metal, no matter what it was, from families. And the father didn't want this dog to be turned into scrap mm -hmm. and melted down for bullets. 
So he placed it out on the grave, thinking surely the government won't yank a statue, a memorial of a two-year-old kid uh-huh. off of the grave and turn it into uh, bullets and stuff. So did they? Well, that's a good question. Nobody's really sure which of these stories is true, but several people who have visited the grave have claimed to hear a dog bark. And my question is to answer your, or not really to, a question, but to answer yours, the dog's still there. Yes. So my question would be, if the father put it there, or if the shopkeeper put it there mm-hmm. to keep it from being yeah. melted down, then why wouldn't it, they have just taken it back after the war when it was not a concern? So that leads me to believe it's probably more the shopkeeper actually just gave it. Well, how that's very sweet of him. Now they say if you're really close to the grave, like I said, you can hear the the barking and stuff. But if you lean too close, you can hear a growl. Oh, because he's protecting her. Yes. And then they say also, some people have said that the dog is facing in different directions when they come. Get out. So. What if he came to life and bit your face off while you were there? That would be horrible. Wouldn't it though? And and if it killed you, that'd be a good reason for you to haunt the cemetery. Yeah. So. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Win-win. All right. I'm ready for the creepiest story at Hollywood Cemetery. This is kind of sad and creepy all at the same time. This is the legend of the Richmond Vampire. The Richmond Vampire. Yes, because it's Richmond. Some, I mean, it's oh, Richmond, yeah, yeah, Richmond. okay. The legend goes all the way back to the Churchill Tunnel collapse of October 2nd, 1925. Now, most of Virginia has a heavy clay uh, content in their soil. Now, if you know anything about clay... Nothing grows. Well, that, and it's very unstable, and it can change with the rainfall. Oh, that's true, yeah. The Churchill Tunnel was originally built in 1875. The tunnel was part of the Chesapeake and Ohio Railway. Because of all the clay that was mixed in with the soil, construction had its share of issues. The tunnel collapsed several times over the years. Because of this, the railroad company decided they needed a a more safe alternative. Mm -hmm. So in 1901, the railroad completed a riverfront viaduct. Okay. The Churchill Tunnel was no longer needed and was virtually abandoned. Now, for whatever reason, makes no sense to me, the railroad decided to start using the tunnel again in 1925. I was going to say, did they fill it in or could Mm -mm. you do? Okay, they didn't. Okay. They obviously had to do some repairs to make the tunnel uh, fit to be able to use well, sturdy, and, and yeah. safer. Well, I was going to say, you would think they would have done that years ago after it collapsed, you know, Well, I, I guess they, they tried and they tried and it kept collapsing, collapsing, so they just said to hell with it. So after sitting for 24 years, they decided to go ahead and make some renovations. On October 2nd, while these repairs were going on, there was a massive collapse on the western end of the tunnel. This trapped a work train, killing engineer Thomas Mason. Hmm. There were others on the train that were never found. Well, how is that possible? I, I mean, guess, they're not going to go anywhere. They're well, going to be. I, mean, in I the... guess they were completely buried under all this stuff. It might have been hard to get them out. Oh. I mean, this is the early 1900s. Yeah. So obviously, it was presumed that, that they were dead. Three men, one of which was Benjamin Mosby, escaped through the east end of the tunnel. Mosby, though, was seriously injured. He had been shoveling coal into the firebox of the steam locomotive when the collapse ruptured the train's boiler. This caused serious burns all over Mosby's body. Bless his heart. Mosby unfortunately died the following day. So what does this story have to do with the cemetery and a vampire? Yeah, what the heck? Well, shortly after the tunnel collapse, stories started to spread around the town. The story was that some locals saw a hideous creature with hanging skin and jagged teeth come from the tunnel at the collapse area. It started making its way towards the James River. By now, there was a mob of townspeople chasing this creature. So it ducked into the cemetery. Once it was in the cemetery, the mob saw it go into 
a mausoleum of a gentleman by the name of W.W. W. Poole. Now, Poole was a bookkeeper who had died just a few years earlier at the age of 80 years old. Now, first of all, there's something strange about Poole's mausoleum. You see, Poole died in 1922, but the date on the mausoleum is 1913, which is believed to be the year that his wife passed away. So why is this important? Because obviously, as we gave it away at the beginning of the story, the creature is known as the Richmond Vampire. Some believe that W.W. Poole is the actual Richmond Vampire, and that's why there's no birth date and why his death date is not on his mausoleum. And this is proof to many townspeople of the day of his mortality. So how did the story get started? And obviously people were thinking that this thing was coming from the tunnel collapse, mm-hmm. but because they saw it go into his mausoleum, they're thinking maybe he had left the mausoleum and this was just him getting trouble to get back in. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we stated that the story started shortly after the collapse of the tunnel. Like literally they said they saw him coming from the collapse. Mosby made it out of the tunnel and was badly burned. It's probable that someone saw him emerge from the tunnel, badly burned, and teeth probably broken from the accident, and that would explain the quote-unquote hanging skin and jagged teeth description. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if there really was a mob of people that were following the creature or what it was, whether even if it was um, Mosby, I don't know if anybody was actually following him or mm-hmm. any of that stuff. Could just be somebody saw him go and then the rest got made up with, during uh, time. I wouldn't want to follow him. But it might be a little bit of embellishment yeah. on the story. Gosh, as what a horrible by. death that is. What I do know is that after eight days of rescue efforts, the body of the engineer, Thomas Mason, was the only body of the dead that was ever recovered that still makes no sense i mean there were should there should be bodies on that train even though it doesn't matter how deep it was buried or whatever right and i'm sure that would probably be the case but i don't know but there wouldn't any bodies recovered he just should have left it alone right not try to redo it but people today are drawn to the mausoleum of ww pools they take pictures hoping to get some sort of image of the Richmond vampire. I mean, I can see why they would want to do that. That's a terrible story, though. It is. I mean, just they had just left things alone. I don't know what they thought they was going to accomplish. Now, Stephen Allen, he went to Hollywood Cemetery in 2018. He said he and some friends were touring some haunted locations in the area. They went there expecting it to be a quick stop, but ended up staying at the cemetery for several hours because it was so beautiful. They obviously enjoyed all of the history and the gardens and monuments, but he also had his most significant ghost experience ever while at the cemetery. He said he felt very sick to his stomach on several different times for what would last about a minute, Mm -hmm. and then he would be completely over it. Yeah. Various different times during the trips around, so it wouldn't one certain spot or... He didn't think it was anything that he ate. He said he smelled rot a few times, and he heard rustling and thumping in closed crypts, which that could be animals. Oh my gosh, but still, that would scare the crap out of me. He felt chills and distinctly felt something wrap around his forearm like being gripped by a hand. He said that his friends even noticed marks on his forearm afterward. He went on to say that skeptics will make of it what they will, but he knows what happened when he was there. Wow. And that's that's the story of Richmond Cemetery. Yeah. Sounds like there's a lot of stuff going on there for sure. Absolutely. Sounds Uh like fun. I'd like to see it. Yeah, I kind of would like to see it too. And Yeah, that cemetery in Philadelphia was Laurel Hill. Laurel Hill. I keep thinking Lauren Hill. And it's the Fuji's, and it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's beautiful if anybody ever gets a chance to get out there and visit it. It's just really something to see. All right. So we're going to take a quick 
break from our sponsor, and then we're going to be back to tell a little housekeeping, and we're going to have Mountain Mama Investigations on to tell you some really cool stories. You guys are going to like these stories. All right, guys, just a quick reminder that we've got uh, four live events and the cruise that are all going on. So we got Louisville, Indianapolis. We've got our anniversary show in Williamson, West Virginia at the uh, hospital on College Hill. Mm-hmm. That's going to be cool. And then we've got Bobby Mackey's. So two of the four events that we have set up will include tours, and it will be inside the haunted location where we do the show. Nice. And I'm, oh. I'm, hoping, to, I'm hoping to do a lot more of those in the yeah, future. So. That'll be so fun. But all the tickets are available on hillbillyhorrorstories.com along with the information for the cruise. So all that's there. Now, I want to bring this up. On Thursdays, I have been reading uh, my book out loud, mm-hmm. chapter by chapter. That's only going to go on for probably three or four more weeks. But that will soon be replaced with a new Me Reading Your Story episodes called Eerie Encounters. So I need your stories. I have some to get started on. But while we still have four or five weeks of the uh, the book, this will give me a chance to gather some more. This will be fun stuff. It's going to be, uh, well, it might not be fun, depending on your experience, but <laughs> it's it's going to be, you know, me reading the stories. There'll be a little bit of light music behind it, maybe some thunderstorms. It'll just be something fun. It'll probably be a 15, 20 minute episode, and it'll be something that uh, you could probably fall asleep to at nighttime or, uh, but it'll be set up kind of like dead time stories. It'll be that kind of that feel to it, but it'll be your personal stories. We're going to do that itself. So. I need your stories. This will be something that you don't have to come on and read. Just write it out as detailed as possible. And I'll get them on the show. It can be literally any kind of encounter. It could be a stalker situation that maybe you had. It could be something where you were just scared because you thought that, you know, something happened that really didn't. It could be a a UFO sighting. It could be paranormal If it was something that freaked you out, I want to hear about it. And we'll get the story out there. And you can be anonymous if you want to. Mm -hmm. So there's that. That sounds fun. So you send those to my name, Jerry Pauly at AOL.com. And that information is on the website also. But send those stories to me. The the more, the merrier. Are you guys getting excited about the daggone um, cruise that we're going on? It's like... All of a sudden, now I'm excited. You yeah, know how it now is? now it's like nine months away. Yeah, because it's like, oh, yeah, I was excited when we started talking about it. And then it's kind of like, okay, we all have all this other stuff going on. But now I'm going to have to get in shape. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I'm, I'm so in, excited I'm our, for this I'm show. In shape. You are in shape, it's you sexy thing. The no. shape of an O. <laughs> circle. I'll be, we'll be so glad to see you guys. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. And there's still time and there's still tickets available. So if you want to uh, get your room, call Rob and them up at Vacation Experts and uh, get you set up. You've still got time to make payments and stuff on it. Yes. All right. Tracy, what you got over there? All right. Besides the lip smack. I did it again. <laughs> I'm letting that one go. Oh, my go God. Ahead. I'm so sorry, y'all. Uh, Sonora0818. <laughs> Mojo Lobster and Karen Shaw. Thank you for reviews this week, honey. We appreciate you guys. While we're on that subject real quick, uh, you guys have left some awesome reviews. And if you're enjoying the book that I'm reading out loud, or if you've purchased the book, if you can go to Amazon and leave a review, that would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be very nice. So. It's not like we all ask you all to do a lot, is it? <laughs> <laughs> And then for our Patreon, we have Melanie Foxworth. Thank you, honey, for your patronage. We appreciate your support. You guys are totally awesome. We love you all so much. And, you know, we couldn't do this without you guys. So thank you again so much. All right, let's listen to Andrea Gilds. You guys are going to like this. Hey, guys, I am excited to have Andrea Gilds on the show. Andrea is a uh, co-founder of Mountain Mama Investigations. One of the coolest names for uh, an investigating uh, group I've ever seen. First of all, thanks for coming on, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So let's, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the group, uh, but then also you've got a a story to tell us, which is how all this came to be, but you've got a couple of stories actually, but uh, 
let's first talk about the group. So the group Mountain Mamas Investigator, you were telling me the name uh, or how the name came to be. Tell me that story real quick so everybody else can hear. Yeah, yeah. So my husband and I, we lived for a period of time um, in West Virginia in Lavalette near Huntington there. And that good Point Pleasant area, all that good stuff. And we were thinking about those times and we were in the middle of working on investigation and writing a story and some things. And it was late at night. We were so tired and we were listening to some John Denver. And uh, that's when we heard the song come on. And we could have swore that the song had to be about UFOs. And that's how Mountain Mama Investigations was born. <laughs> Obviously, the song was Country Roads. It's a West Virginia's, uh, I guess, adopted song. So, yes. you know, I'll tell you something about the song. And and I could be wrong, but I, I heard it from somebody. Somebody said, you know, the, the song talks about all these different things from West Virginia. But they said most of the stuff they talk about really... Like they talk about the Shenandoah and they said, that's not really as much West Virginia as it is. Virginia. But it said it was all these things that it names. It really isn't as much West Virginia as people would think by the song. And no, I, I completely agree with you too. West Virginia, you know, I've lived in Kentucky, West Virginia. I've traveled around the world, all those places too. Um, it's an interesting place. It's a very interesting place. And what was it? My mom used to swear because it used to be wild, wonderful West Virginia, you know, when you drive yep. in. But, but there was a huge argument back in the day because it was like um, they had one that said home of wild women and beautiful horses. <laughs> and she swears like she was born in 56, but she swears that there was an argument about trying to make that slogan. So I could see that. I, I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised Kentucky didn't snatch it from them. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Of course, we would have had to throw something about bourbon in there too. It would have had been a threesome, you know, with the uh, the bourbon, the wild women, and the horses. So yeah, you know, and it's so funny because um, I've lived in Central Kentucky, Lexington area of where Richmond, and uh, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky. And I tell you, I didn't hear anything about bourbon until I moved more this way. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about how this meeting came to be. We, uh, you were in the Haunted Kentucky group. Mm -hmm. which we had just uh, done an interview with, with the, the founder there. And, mm -hmm. but I was looking at a group that day and you had posted a story that your grandfather told you. And I love the story. And I asked you, could I have permission to use the story? And initially yep. I was just going to read it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then when I found out that you were a paranormal investigator, I thought, well, this is even better. I'll just, if you're willing, I'll have you come on and tell the story. Yeah. And then we could talk about some of the other stuff. So that's how this all came to be. Uh, so so tell me the story that your grandfather told you. Tell me a little bit about your grandfather first, because you was just telling me a little bit about that sure. off the air. Sure. Yeah. And it was it was completely on a whim that I randomly posted this story because I run a Facebook group called Haints and Hollers. And it's about Appalachian paranormal storytelling because we want to write a book. And in order to do that, you know, I have a lot of stories, obviously. And I thought to myself, there has to be others with these stories. So let's see if we can compile it together and keep that alive. So on a whim, I'd never wrote one of my personal stories in there. I decided to do it. And I was like, well, while I'm at it, I'll share it in the other couple of groups in case somebody's interested. And it went wild. I could not believe it <clears throat> that so many people were interested in it. So um, when I was a little girl, my, around two to three years old, that's when my grandfather started telling me the scary stories. And what made them so much more scary was most of them were true. Um, and I actually credit those stories to being why I decided to investigate the paranormal. He also helped me through some times where the veil was more thin for me that began during ages two to three. Um, so it kind of helped me to understand a bit more what I was seeing, but he was trying to tell me in his nonchalant way that he could also see. So it was, yeah, it was really interesting there to where he kind of helped with the psychic mediumship type abilities that were arising that were scary at first. So. All right. So you, you were telling me that he used to tell all kinds of stories. Some were true, some were not, but they were all scary and they all had a lesson behind them. Oh my goodness. There was, he would make some of them up and then a lot of them were <laughs> true, but I'm telling you what, what went on inside this man's mind was some of the stories he made up <laughs> like bloody broth was one of them, actually the title that he made of one. And it was all about 
you don't answer the door for people you don't know. So there was a lesson that was always in these horror stories that he created too. Um, but one of the first ones that he ever told me was this one. And he never really titled it or anything because it was my great grandfather's story. And it was about the time that he encountered something unknown. You know, we, we still have never had the answers to it, no matter all the questions I asked over the years. So. Well, don't keep us in suspense. Let's hear the story. <laughs> yeah. So let's pull it up here. So, you know, I said, what led me here? Where did it all begin? Why am I even a truth seeker? So I began noticing, you know, there was something beyond that veil at an early age, but my quest began with a story. Um, my papa Andy was a great man. Um, he was a man that proof, uh, he was proof that someone could change. And he did that many times throughout his life for the better. And like many people in Appalachia, he was raised hard. He never knew an education beyond middle school because he needed to be at home because every hand counted and feeding every mouth. And despite this, he was wise beyond his years. Storytelling was his forte, though, because storytelling was free. <laughs> <laughs> what chilled me to the core, though, as a child was that although he could create some creepy tales, most of them were true, either experienced by himself or by other family members. And these stories felt like they should be tucked away in a leather bound notebook on a dusty shelf. Those kind of stories that you tell children in order to teach them a life lesson or to heed a warning. And this tale didn't have a happy ending or even a resolve, but left me asking more questions by the time it ended. So like I've talked about, you know, I'm from a small coal mining town called Inez, nestled in what is known as Martin County, a coal mining town that feels like it stood still while the world moved on. It forgot this area, the mysterious mountains, and these mountains have seen and could tell many a tale. A place where most residents are warm, they're inviting, and where you're made to feel at home. And it is very much to them. I'm not ashamed of where I'm from. I do take pride that uh, where I am now started within that small town and those vast mountains. And I was allowed to dream and wonder about what they held. But our story takes place in an area of Martin County called Old Route 3, also referred to as Grassy Creek. They're interchangeable. <laughs> It was the mid-1800s, and my great-grandfather's name was Henry, um, and he was tasked with a quest, an experience that would be passed down for generations. Now, some background on Henry that I didn't put the story here is um, he was known to be a drinker. You know, he, he was an alcoholic. It was very hard times, and when he had the opportunity, he would. This is one of the few occasions, though, thankfully for us, that Henry wasn't drinking. He couldn't afford any alcohol here this time. So uh, <laughs> we know that what he saw wasn't anything to do with what he was drinking that night. So there have been many complaints in the area of Old Route 3 of unusual noises. So it was a cry from the hills. It, at times it would sound like a man in distress, maybe hollering or maybe a baby crying off in the distance. Um, it could be a woman screaming, but what was happening is the noises were getting too close for comfort. Um, at first they were just heard far away. So automatically it was blamed on coyotes. They make strange noises, which are normal for the area, but the old ones, and what I mean by old ones are the people that have been there for many generations said this was unlike any coyote they had experienced. So mothers began bringing their children indoors earlier and cutting playtime short. And the idea of a coyote was quickly drawn to a close when there was a sighting, finally. Uh, there was a man in the area of Grassy Creek there that came home late one night from work. And there was no indoor plumbing, which was normal for the time. So his dry sink was on the back porch so he could clean up before turning in for bed. And that's when he heard it. The noises were closer than they had ever been before. He turned and he saw in the woods there a creature watching him, thinking it must be some type of animal. He watches closer, realizes this animal doesn't walk on all fours, but it walks like a man and it has a man type appearance, but still part animal. 
He was overcome with fear. He runs into his home and peers out while hear, hearing the animal's shrieks coming closer until eventually they stop. He was white as a sheet, Grandpa Henry used to say. And after this, the men of the area decided it was time to do something about it. They didn't want their family members hurt. They didn't want their children hunted and stalked. So they decided that they would hunt the creature that was hunting them. And they assembled a team and prepared to search through the night. Some were well off enough to have a lantern. Others used pine twigs to light their way. That was very specific in the story. And Grandpa Henry was one of those men. I've um, never heard of using pine twigs. To... Yeah, they used to cut pine twigs. My grandfather, he was so specific on that, that it had to be a pine twig that was cut to burn. I mean, I would guess maybe because of the oil or something in the pine that, that would make it burn. That would probably make sense. Be, yeah. So they basically cut a switch. <laughs> and then you know they would go ahead and burn it down so they go out everybody assembles it's been an unsuccessful evening of tracking and hunting this beast and the group disbands and grandpa henry heads home for the night so the moon is full that is something very specific also that he stated in the story that this was a full moon because the moon was so bright that it actually lit his path down the darkened road to go to his house and he's close to home he's preparing to walk up the hill go to bed and something jumps out right in front of him and he's able to see it because it's fully illuminated so once again grandpa henry says this was not a coyote unlike any coyote he had ever seen if so this was an animal but it had the stature and composure of a man its fur was as dark as night and the moon shined off its back it glistened and he pulled out his pistol that he had with him. And he watched as every bullet he unloaded went into the back of this creature. He heard it cry out. It was in pain. And he immediately ran to his house for a light so he could return and inspect what he had just killed. And he saw the creature. He saw the blood. He watched each bullet enter. That is what he always talked about. So... He makes it up into the house and my grandmother was terrified when she heard the story as she should be. And she pleaded that um, he wait until the next morning before he went and saw what he had killed. But he was pleading that he needed to go and collect whatever this was right then because it was unlike anything he had ever seen. But she ended up winning and he decided to wait until sunlight so it would be easier for him to finish whatever he just started. So he went to bed. Next morning, he gets up, he ran down to the scene, only to be even more terrified than he was the night before because there was no body, there was no animal, and there was no blood on the ground where he had seen. He was perplexed on how the size of something like this with the multiple bu bullet wounds could have gotten away or how blood cleansed itself away. He was shaken, and the only explanation that he was unfortunately given was by my grandmother saying it must have been the devil himself coming as a warning that he better change his ways. And he never wavered on the story. It didn't change. It passed down to my grandfather. Uh, no matter how many times he told it, he always told the same thing. But it was when I was around, because I heard the story around two to three years old. That's when I started hearing it. But when I was six was when it became even more important because I would go down my grandfather born and raised old route three he lived there you know also so i would go down to old route three to visit him when i was six years old i was outside playing in the yard and my grandmother was out there with me and that's when the noises from the hills started happening again and the old ones remembered just like he had and my grandmother was standing outside with me as i was playing outside they always kept also something I didn't include was these huge, tall metal chain link gates around their property. It was, I mean, they were, they were just kind of abnormal, you know, for the area. It was, it was very strange. And I thought maybe it was to keep something in, but years later I realized maybe it was to keep something out. And from there, that's when those noises started up in the hills and she grabbed me and she ran in the house with me. And she said, it's back to my grandfather. And I didn't have to ask what it was because I knew exactly what it was. So 
um, yeah, it was, it was very strange. It happened for a few more years that those noises happened that she guarded me more closely outside and then it just stopped. So. Did you ever did you ever ask any questions about the gates and the fencing? I never I, when I was a kid, I just thought that's normal. That's what Mama and Papa's house is like, you know, and here's the thing. Um, if they were trying to protect their property, you have to understand there's an old saying, you know, in Eastern Kentucky, they didn't have two sticks to rub together. Mm-hmm. So their house wasn't anything magnif- magnificent at all. The, the basement was dug out by Papa you know, that kind of thing. And it was enough. They didn't have plumbing upstairs until I was probably five. You know, you had to go down in the basement. I remember to use the restroom. And before that, it was an outhouse. Um, So it just, it seems so odd now. But back then I was just like, okay, well, they're just trying to protect this house. And I love that house. And I felt so loved in it. That to me, it was a mansion, even though it wasn't anything huge. So, so you got that story at a very early age. Is that what piqued your interest in, say, the paranormal or all things unknown? Or did that come later in life? Absolutely. That's right there is when I started getting in trouble because I was originally raised, you know, um, in the Methodist church. And that's the time when I started getting trouble in Sunday school. I'll never forget that because we got to a point where it was close to Halloween and they said, ghosts aren't real. And I said, excuse me, ma'am, that's not correct. (laughs) And I was just like, my papa says, and you know, I went into that whole spiel about things too, where they were like, no, um, you know, Johnny witches don't exist. That's ma'am. That's not correct. You know, I'm just like that <laughs> practice today. And I was, I was not a favorite in those kind of settings because I kind of pushed boundaries. And then it became at around second grade is where in PE, we would gather around and people would ask me to tell them stories. And that's when I started telling these stories you know, that my grandfather told me. So I definitely believe that that's what led me to the unknown that there was, I just knew there had to be something more than what I'd been told. And then that's also when I started seeing more, um, you know, around that age and, and being more open to it. I felt like my grandfather, Papa Andy, which I'm actually named after Andrea, Andrew, you know, um, so they would call him big Andy and me little Andy. And Um, he was preparing me for something and it wasn't until right before he passed away that he finally came forth in a more open way saying, Hey, what you've been seeing is your gift and you'll learn how to develop it as time goes. And And how old were you at that time? Um, whenever he passed, I was around 10 or 11 years old. And that's, uh, probably whenever I first started having my first encounters of psychic dreams and I don't think it could have been any better of a way than my first psychic dream being actually speaking with him after he died knowing he was dead now was this something was this something that happened after you knew he was dead or was it one of those deals where he like came to you in a dream then you found out the next day he had passed it was it was one of those situations I was in Lexington he was in Inez I had no idea it was a very freak kind of random thing you know he was much older my mom was older when she had us and he was probably close to 80 then he had a random clot that went to the lung and he knew he was dying he just you know he had he was also intuitive to these things and he said um he literally turned over and told my mom he said I'm going to go now and then just went and um I had no clue about it I'm in Lexington And then I have this dream and um, I'm in a room with a telephone and I answer it and it's him. And he said, I did it this way. So you won't be so scared your first time. Oh, and I was like, oh, okay. I said, uh, he said, I'm gone now. And he said, this will be the last time we speak. And um, he explained, you know, just some things with me there that kind of prepared me for, I knew I would end up here. 
there's no way any time that I try to fight or go in a different way or a different career path, I always end up back here. So now was that your first experience with death as a child, as far as somebody close to you? Someone that close. Yes. Um, he was the first one I had had, you know, maybe like some great aunts and uncles that I knew, but were kind of distantly. So it wasn't the first time I'd seen a body or gone to a funeral or something like that. Cause I'm, I don't know what it is in Eastern Kentucky. Uh, we are very, um, death just, I don't know. It's just normal. You know, and we make jokes about it and stuff all the time because it's just a process of life. And uh, so I'm sure I've probably been carried along to funerals in my time. But yes, that was the first one that like really meant something to me. So, you know, it's it's funny you say that from the the time I was, I think, 24, I had been a pallbearer at 13 funerals. See? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I tell some people that, that I know have never been a pallbearer or maybe once or twice. And I was like, I've been a pallbearer like 13 times before I was even in my mid 20s. Yeah. And no. it's. I don't know. It's just it's just the normal way of life. You know, it's going to happen. <clears throat> and then in Inez, especially <clears throat> there's a few few things that have to happen for a funeral. So depending on who they are who the person is, um, you know, this is my maternal side, this grandfather. And then my paternal side, my grandfather on that side, also my middle name, right? So they chose to name me after both my grandfathers. You know, he was sheriff for 20 years. So different ends of the spectrum here um, whenever it came to my families. But there's a few things that have to happen when somebody dies. Somebody's going to bring you food to your house. You're not going to get food for a week, right? Um, Whether you answer the door or not, it's piled up out there and all your meals are taken care of. And um, you're, you're going to one of two funeral homes. You get two choices. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, most, most time cremation is a word not heard. Like, you know, you don't usually talk about that much there. And then from there, they're going to be some kind of big gathering and eating afterwards there. So. Yeah, that's the that's the experiences that I've had as well. So, and I grew up on in Louisville, which is more you know, a yeah. little more towards the east, but still kind of a central. So it carries over. I think it's more it's almost more of a southern thing mm-hmm. than it is just the area. But yeah, as you get closer to the mountains and Appalachians, whether it be West Virginia or North Carolina or, or Tennessee, or it's all kind of the same there. Yeah, and if you go a little bit further in the West Virginia, there and some parts of Kentucky still. Um, then you're going to have, in my experience with West Virginia, I have a lot of family that's originally from there too, is sitting up with the body. Somebody has, oh, to sit yeah. The um, yeah, that's still practice. Somebody has to sit there in the church or wherever with the body all night. Let's talk a little bit about your uh, paranormal group. How long mm-hmm. have, uh, have you been doing paranormal investigating? Oh, paranormal investigating. I think I started way back when it's probably been 10 years or more whenever I first originally started or my first interest, I want to say that probably fueled me too beyond just knowing that there was something more was when ghost hunters came out. I knew that's what I wanted to do. (laughs) Grant Wilson was my hero. Um, And that's when the research though really started. I was probably in middle school when that happened. And I'll never forget, um, I was the type of kid that if I wanted to know something and I knew there was an expert, then I would find a way to contact him. So I emailed Grant Wilson when I was in middle school and I said, okay, I got some questions about demons for you. And (laughs) lo and behold, my dad's like, what are you doing? I'm sitting there on the family computer and I was like, hold on, I'm talking to Grant. (laughs) And he was like, what? And so Grant had actually messaged me back and answered all my questions. And that's just the way that I, I handled things. If I had a problem and I, with the president, I wrote a letter to the president, um, just that kind of situation. So that's whenever I started that. The paranormal group that we have, though, probably started about, it's about three years or so ago that we decided to finally go more mainstream with it. And um, especially after moving to Richmond, we were like, we are in a gold mine because I had no idea all the stuff that goes on in Richmond. 
um, and so much going on. We ended up buying a house that was a part of the area that was part of the UFO blitz back in the 80s here. And let me tell yep. you, there's still weird stuff here. <laughs> there's so much going on from kangaroos running wild um, to Westover Terrace. So it's a mystical place of its own. So we said, why not start here? I think y'all get all that leftover Somerset stuff that kind of drifts to Richmond. <laughs> you know, and we do go over to Somerset quite a bit, right? Um, you know, we like to go and visit the International Paranormal Museum. You know, I've not been asked to say that. That's just somewhere I like to go. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, you know, I'm glad I, I'm glad you said that. We're actually going to have uh, Kyle Caden on the show here really soon from that runs well, the paranormal. You make sure Kyle Caden knows that I am absolutely a huge fan. He did not. I don't know him personally, but um, definitely would like to actually meet with him later on with some questions. But we love going over to there and just I think we're going to be going over to Somerset soon, actually, for an investigation. So we're pretty excited. You know, and you may already know this from being from the area, uh, but you had brought up Grant Wilson. Did you know that Grant up until about a year ago lived in Richmond? I did. I did. And I was just like, you know, I could, I thought of all the ways I could accidentally bump into him, you know, and because I was just such a huge fan, but yeah, that was pretty amazing to know that he was there. And so discreetly, it felt like. So. Yeah. Because I, I had no clue. We interviewed him on the show and, you know, I knew he had been up and up, up East, you know, up and at, uh, uh, up around, I think it was Rhode Island maybe, or, but I, he was, he was somewhere up, up near that area of the United States. And I had no idea that he had moved here and we were doing the interview and uh, he, we started talking about weather and I was like, ah, oh, yes, this and that he's, he's where you live. And I said, Lexington. And he said, you know, where I'm, where I live, don't you? And I'm like, no. And he's like, I live in Richmond. He said, I was just in Lexington earlier today. You know, for those listening who don't know, Richmond and Lexington are only yeah. 30 or 40 minutes apart. And uh, so, yeah, it amazed me. And then I didn't know he moved. And I was talking to one of the guys up here uh, that are really good friends with him from Lexington Paranormal Research Society. And uh, they had mentioned that he had moved uh, down to Florida about a year ago. So really? I think he's in. I think he's in the Orlando area or it's either that or St. Augustine, but he was wanting to, we were all talking about setting up an event at St. Augustine lighthouse. So, but I already had an event. Yeah. I already had an event set up there and uh, that's what brought it up. And they said, Hey, you want to do another one? I'm like, "Uh, not right now. It's hard to, it's hard to pull off two of them within, you know, a month of each other, but yeah. So I know he's down in Florida now and uh, I'm sure he's enjoying life down there because that's where I'd like to be. Yeah, I think my main question was, why Richmond? I wonder how, you know what I mean, out of all the places that he ended up in Richmond. And I think I did ask him that. I think it had something to do with, I think his wife had relatives from there. It had something to do with his wife, I think, but I can't 100% remember. Yeah. yeah. No, not only that, but um, I mean, Richmond, Berea, Berea too. That's a whole nother story with all yep. that going on it has so much fun stuff but i could totally see it because i've i've loved it i lived in lexington then we bought over richmond and it was one of the best decisions we ever made so it's a great area it really is like you said there's a lot of paranormal activity there to go around or no not no doubt about that oh yeah so, or there's a lot of there's actually a antique store over at berea and i tell you what this guy has created our new favorite term for when something odd's going on. Um, I went into the antique store. I said, Hey, you got anything weird that goes on here? I was like, you got all this stuff in here. He's like, Oh, he said, I'm so glad that you came and asked about the spookity dookities in here. And that's a <laughs> new favorite term. <laughs> there's a, there's some cool places. What's the, uh, is it uh, Daniel Boone Tavern? Is that what it is? Or yeah, there's that uh, tavern there. Um, and then, you know, if you go into something old antique mall, they will definitely tell you there's strange things going on there now. Um, there's also Pig House, P-I-G-G, that Berea College owned. It's actually burnt now, but there's supposed to be a lot of activity that still happens on the land. Um, so there's quite a few things over in Berea there, too. And if you're stopping by Berea, I'll tell you the place to eat, the Dinner Bell Restaurant. It, 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 it looks like a Cracker Barrel. I swear. I think, it, I think it used to be an old Cracker Barrel and I think they moved it because it's set up exactly the same way. And the Cracker Barrel is across the street. Right. And when I asked them in there, 
they said, no, we didn't used to be a Cracker Barrel. And I'm like, it had to be. The building's built exactly the same. It's the same colors. And they've got a little store, but everything in the store is handmade crafts. Uh, yeah. So it's really cool. But it's all it's all Southern uh, home home kitchen style food. And it's like one of the best places. So anytime we go past there, we always stop there and eat. Oh, yeah. Now, people love this show. See, they get they get uh, craft information. They get uh, food information. <laughs> Yeah, where, well, where, where previous ghost hunters used to live. <laughs> no, no, Berea is the arts and crafts capital of the world. That's what they're known for. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you go down Artisan Street there, I can't plug it enough because I just love local shopping and giving back to the community. And they make some amazing stuff on Artisan Street. So, yeah, I so, Andrea, how can people find out more about what's going on with you and your group? Sure. Uh, we are pretty much everywhere. We are finally starting a YouTube channel. We are going into a lot of interesting research with paranormal that we're not sure. Paranormal community might not be ready for yet, but we're going to try. Um, and you can find us just by typing in Mountain Mama Investigations or Mountain Mama IMV on tiktok we're on instagram we're on twitter youtube and then haints and hollers is that facebook group for more of my stories that'll be coming out awesome and we'll make sure we post some links to all that stuff as well so thanks for coming on with us andrea i appreciate it no thank you so much we were so excited and we appreciate you all right thank you so much all right that wraps it up for this week uh obviously the next time we come on will be after Christmas because Christmas is Saturday and this will be our next episode to be Sunday. So we want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas a happy Hanukkah. And I think that actually may have already passed, but whatever you're celebrating this holiday season, I hope you have a great one. Yeah. Merry Christmas. You guys are awesome. Hope Santa Claus is good to you. Love you.